Welcome to Americana One. This is Ken Paulson. Our special guest today is Tom Utes, a man who uh, came to this country a few years ago and immediately had an impact on, on the music scene, bluegrass and uh, Americana. And I think every cool person in Nashville uh, befriended you, Tom, and it's a pleasure to have you here. Well, thank you so much. It's good to be here. You know, you, you look at your work and it's like Nancy Griffith, David Olney, Brace and Cooper, you, you, you know, you are um, either you are selective or they are selective, but you have a good crowd. Yeah, I like it. You know, it's been a good run. I've, I've been here 20 years and kind of um, I remember the night I went to see David only at the at the radio cafe and introduced myself to him. And next thing I knew, a couple of weeks later, we had coffee. And the next thing was we went to Holland and toured together and we recorded. And then Mary Gaucher entered the picture and then after Mary and Nancy and then um, Eric and Peter and I just produced something for Whispering Bill Anderson and so it's it's great I'm I'm the happiest person in the world I could be playing in a sports bar blues band in the Black Forest of Germany <laughs> instead of doing this which sounds awfully appealing uh, but <laughs> yeah there's nothing wrong with that neither yeah so um, what brought you to the US I, I gather you were a, a young musician who had uh, who had chops and 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 then you came to Nashville, which was fortuitous. Uh, what was that transition about? Yeah. Um, so I started playing music when I was about six or seven years old and, and uh, just started playing the piano and the flute and classical lessons, all the regular that kind of stuff. And then uh, when I was 11 years old, I heard Bobby Bear on a German country music television show called Country Time with Freddie Quinn, who was an old German actor who liked country music. And it, it completely changed my life. It's, uh, I, I heard the music and the music spoke to me, but I saw something in Bear that was much bigger than, than Bear or country music. It was just something went right through the, to the core of my, my being. And I, I loved that music so much. I started playing guitar the, the same day and I learned the chords to Detroit City, which was one of the songs that Bear played. Uh, that day the other one was pour me another tequila sheila and lay down and love me again which <laughs> also had an impact on an 11 12 year old and so anyway i i just i just followed the uh the path to that music from 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 that moment on and tried to learn as much about it as i could and so i was 11 and i was it was like 1980 1981 and I, it was in rural southwestern germany so record stores were the next bigger record store was about an hour away, so it was not something that I had easy access to. So I sort of had to just fly by instinct. I remember, for instance, the first Doc Watson record I bought. I had no idea who Doc Watson is. I just really liked the cover, and it spoke to me. And it's it's still one of my favorite uh, Doc Watson records called Down South. And so I just I just always followed the music. Um, to try to follow the music to the source. And then obviously when you're interested in, in country music, at some point Nashville enters. And I, uh, my wife had lived in, my wife and I have been together since she was 14 and I was 15. And she had uh, lived in the States as a child for five years and she always wanted to come back. And in our mid twenties, we started traveling to the United States, first to Texas a lot, and then later to Nashville. Um, all that was heavily influenced by my friend, Richard Dobson, who was a great, songwriter who'd spent a lot of time in Nashville around people like Guy Clark and Hans Van Zandt. So um, once we uh, decided that we wanted to move, the decision was really 
do we want to move to Austin or do we want to move to Nashville? But once I had been here a couple of times, I knew that I needed to be and wanted to be where the business was and not just a great live music scene. And so the decision was made that we would move here and we won a green card. And then after three years of living here or five years of living here, became citizens. And uh, that's sort of the, the short version. That's great. I, I assume you have since closed the loop with Bobby Bear. Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, um, through my friend Peter Cooper, I was uh, introduced to Bear, and he actually sang a song on uh, a project called the 1861 Project about the American Civil War, and he sang a song on Volume Three, which is all about the which is about the Battle of Franklin. And so Bear came to my studio and sang that song, and he was he's just the coolest dude at now 85 still, and he. Uh, I never asked anybody to sign a guitar of mine, but I asked Bear to sign my guitar. And I think it made him a little uncomfortable when he uh, heard the story that he sort of, you know, changed my life. I, I, I think he, he was slightly uncomfortable with that. But anyway, we, we text each other every once in a while and, and uh, I love his music. Uh, the, 18, so the 1861 Project is where you first came to my attention, mm -hmm. beginning in 2011 and running through 2014. Uh, you know, you've described it well, and, but it was sort of a, it was really a stunning project in terms of its scope and, and the talent you had, you know, Bobby Bear, Jason Ringenberg, Kim Ritchie, Connie Smith was on there, Mauro O'Connell, Jerry Douglas. Uh, boy, you made a lot of friends quickly. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was just uh, lucky. And I think, you know, the, the, the Civil War is just something that obviously spoke to me. And, and this is something that I'm still really interested in. And it's also something that speaks to all the people from all those different, um, like more from, from her Irish perspective. And everybody was happy to, to be a part of it. I think it was just a, a lucky thing, you know, and, and I think the songs were good. And I think people like those kind of projects. I do. I like, I like making records where there's some kind of thread, where it's not just a collection of 12 songs or something, where there's a bigger theme or something. Which brings us to your brand new album. To Live in Two Worlds, and it's going to be volume one and two. And uh, I'm gathering Two Worlds reflects your, your life? Um, to some extent. It's a quote from a song that I wrote with Tammy Rogers. It's called Calling, the song is called Calling Me Home. And there's a line in there, to live in two worlds is all that we know. But I feel your love and it's calling me home. It's more written from the perspective of two people, like, uh, you know, who, who have to spend a lot of time apart. And, uh, but it's also obviously refers to my, the, the fact that I was born in Europe, but always had this fascination with America and that I and live and work here now and have been for a long time. But it's also um, reflects on the fact that I often think that in my mind, I live maybe a hundred years ago. I, I often say like, I, I think I would really like to live around 1920, but only with antibiotics. <laughs> I was going to say, in the <laughs> middle of a pandemic, that's not something you want to throw around too lightly. Well, I am guilty of, of enjoying your stories too much and not letting people hear your music. Uh, could you pick a song, any song, off the new album, To Live in Two Worlds? Yeah, let's start with the, the opening track. It's a, it's a song called Milltown Blues, and it's... Uh, it's based on the life story of the great old-time musician, Charlie Poole. Lint is in his lungs, dust in his clothes and shoes. Don't make enough to starve on. Charlie's got the rambling blues in a mill town. In a mill town, in a mill town, way down south. 
And when the week is through, if you even made a dollar, you end up owing two in a mill town. In a mill town, in a mill town, way down south. That was the opening single off the new album, To Live in Two Worlds, from Tom Yutes, a song called Milltown Blues. You know, I'm intrigued, Tom, that you have this fast history, the Civil War. I mean, why, why would a, a young man growing up in rural Germany be particularly intrigued by uh, a battle between the states? You know, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I think it's from an, I can't remember when I was a kid, when I was, before, before I even heard Bobby Bear and before I came interested, became interested in country music, I remember that I, I got, for my first communion, which is like, I was probably like, you're typically seven or eight years old when that happens, my grandmother gave me a radio and I was just messing around and I, I found AFM, American Forces Network, and just found myself listening to country music and wondering what the sound of a pedal steel guitar was. I liked the sound of that, but I didn't know what this, what, it, what instrument it was. And it was just something that drew me to it. I was also, as stupid as that sounds from today's perspective, I loved looking at magazines that had like Marlboro cigarette um, advertisings. I loved the, 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 the scenes of the American West. Uh, I was just fascinated with that my whole life. It just speaks to, to some part of my subconsciousness. I, I can't explain it any better than that. And it still does to this day, the landscape does especially of the, of the American Southeast. Um, the music does, I don't know what it is, something, something that I can't explain. And yet, um, you're, you're, you're more knowledgeable than 99% of Americans about American history. And I think about American, and that's not a good thing, by the way. Uh, the, as a nation, we don't honor our heritage as, as much or as well as we should be. And that extends also to knowing the greats of uh, American music. Uh, in this new album, uh, you have a song uh, specifically about Jimmy Rogers. Jimmy Rogers wrote a train. Uh, what's your connection to, to that part of American popular music history? Well, I mean, Jimmy Rogers, the magnitude of Jimmy Rogers is, can't be um, overstated. I mean, he's part of, obviously part of the Bristol sessions. And uh, what's so interesting about Jimmy Rogers, there, there's a ton of stuff that's interesting about him to me. It's his singing style that obviously um, is, includes his yodel, which the argument could be made uh, has its, its, its origin in, in Europe, but his guitar playing is so distinctly influenced by the black people that, was, that he was around when he worked the railroads. He was a really great guitar player in, 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 the, in my book, at least. And uh, he also didn't want to just, the, the singing breakman image is one thing, but he wanted to be more than that. There's a lot of photos of him where he was like, you know, dressed as a cowboy or dressed as a dapper uh, dude in a white suit and a white uh, bowler hat and all that. He, he wanted to be every American's favorite singer. And, to, and I think because of that, he also was like the first American pop star in a way, you know? And he had to cram all that into six years before he, before he passed away from, from uh, TB. And it's just, it, and, and he created the mystique of, of the, you know, the singing break man, the hobo, the guy who's rambling all around and all that. I mean, it's just unbelievable. How could you not be influenced by him? And, and that brings me back to American history. The fascinating thing about American history is that it's so, so young, you know, it's like, it's, 
it's, it's, it's barely over, you know, it's like, what's 200 years in the scope of, of human history, it's nothing. And so that's so interesting about American history that you can just still feel it, you know, there's a pulse to it. Here's Jimmy Rogers, Road a Train, from the brand new Tom Youth's album, To Live in Two Worlds. The magic rubbed off on him, he was playing his guitar, old songs about the southern skies, and the windswept prairie stars, and he dreamed about the day when all the folks would know his name. On that New Orleans and Northeastern, Jimmy Rogers rode a train. That was the music of Tom Utes, a fabulous record called To Live in Two Worlds, and Jimmy Rogers rode a train. Tom, I, uh, I'm intrigued that, that you are one of the biggest writers in bluegrass today. You Either you, either you win the awards or you're nominated for the awards. Uh, what is the state of sort of bluegrass in terms of recordings now? Is it, you know, um, a, a lot of Americana has bluegrass in it, but how would you say bluegrass differs largely? When you write a bluegrass song as opposed to write something you hope uh, Eric Brace or, uh, might record, what is that difference? Well, I mean, I try to write <laughs> pretty much everything I write, I try to just write it the best way I can without necessarily thinking so much about where it's going to end up. But if you write specifically for bluegrass, you obviously ha keep, have to keep in mind certain themes that bluegrass people like to sing about or certain themes that they don't want to sing about. Um, you have to keep uh, certain structural elements in mind that there needs to be enough space for, for solos and for picking. You need to keep in mind that most bluegrass artists want to record up-tempo material. Um, so that, in that sense, it differs a little bit um, from from writing any other song that I would write. But you know, I'm also I'm 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 also trying to just bend that genre a little bit through through my writing. And because bluegrass music used to be really really wild when you listen to Bill Monroe or Jimmy Martin or Jim and Jesse or people like that, and it's and it's gotten a little gotten a little too tame for for me, although there's a lot of super young, super great young people like Molly Tuttle and Sarah Hall and all those people that are taking the genre into a whole different uh, direction, which is wonderful. But I feel like I want to take it into a slightly different direction where I just talk about stuff from the past that's more interesting to me than, um, you know, my sweetheart in the Blue Ridge or something, which and, is fine too, which is sure. great. And uh, is there a difference in the way those songs are produced? Difference between bluegrass and other things you might do that might not fall in the genre. Well, I mean, there's there's a couple of obvious stylistic elements, like probably no drums and and you know the the, the typical five or six instrument uh, bluegrass uh, instrumentation. Um, again, I try to on this record, I try to do something that takes bluegrass music into a little more of a string band direction, which is which it takes care of itself and you have Mike Compton play on something. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's just making it a little, little more raw, less polished maybe. We didn't spend hardly any time on overdubbing stuff. I did all my vocals and my guitar parts in half a day to just not overthink it, just play music and not, not think music. 
So in that respect, this is probably a little different from, from a lot of stuff that you would hear on bluegrass radio. Right. Well, for those of you who have not heard of Tom or heard his music, I, I just want to try to convey that uh, this is a town, and we're based in Nashville, where word gets around really quickly if somebody really good has emerged, shown up, and then, and then, then people of integrity flock to them and, uh, and work them in their band or record with them. And, and, and Tom is very much one of those people. Uh, we have lost two extraordinary artists uh, out of this community, really out of the world community in the last few months, uh, David Olney and John Prine. And you have worked with both of them. Do you have any remembrances uh, of working with them? Sure. I knew David only a lot better than I knew John Prine because I I'd, I'd, I'd toured with David. Um, wow, there's there, the, the first thing that would come to mind is the first time I toured with David, he was like, look, I want you to play electric guitar and classical gut string guitar. And I was like, okay. And he was like, I want you to play electric guitar like you were playing with a four-piece rock and roll band, although it's just going to be the two of us. Hmm. And I was like, okay, that's weird, but let's see if it works. And he had, and it worked great. And it was just something that, that he wanted to, to try. And he was always like that. He always, he always had something else that he, something different that he wanted to experiment with. He was inspiring to be around because he, he was constantly reading. He was reading a lot of poetry. He was um, into all, he was in, a lot into old time music. When I was touring with him, he was heavily into Charlie Poole at that time. Um, he, performed with the energy of a 17 year old punk rocker and he was in his late 50s at that point and he insisted on performing like that otherwise i don't i think he would have quit if he would have kind of you know phoned it in in a tame kind of way i remember one night in holland we played a song of his called vincent's blues that's one of my favorite songs of, of Dave, david's and i played i must i i played something that he really liked and he sang it in such a passionate way that after, after it was, after the song was over, he just uh, walked over to me and put his hand on my shoulder. And it was just this moment where we both went like, this is probably the most intense music we've, we've both played in a long time or maybe ever. Wow. And then, then it just went on. And I, I totally remember that moment. And so he was a, he was just a, a, a great, to say that he was an inspiration is an understatement. I mean, he was, he was he was literally something else he was from a different from a different planet and prine i didn't know prine as near as well but as i did only but we we recorded together twice one time when i produced a record for nancy griffith he came out here to my studio to sing on something and he was very kind very professional um, I remember that I hung out with his manager, Al Bonetta, after it was over in, in our kitchen. And Al, Al, Al wanted to talk about was our coffee maker, because he was fascinated by coffee makers. <laughs> and uh, and uh, then the second time I worked with John was, um, I produced a record with Peter Cooper called I Sang the Song. It's sort of a musical biography of Mac Wiseman. And uh, Peter and I had written 10 songs with Mac. And John and Mac had been good friends and had made a record together. and so. John agreed to come in and sing the title song on this record. I sang the song and it's, it's a song that we wrote with Mac from the perspective of a 92 year old man looking back at a, at a really rich life and describing, you know, his humble beginnings and then how far the music took him. And 
and Prine recorded that and is obviously an in incredible thing as a songwriter to have John Prine sing one of your songs. But it was the same thing. He was just, he was very funny. He was on time, very well prepared, um, easygoing. Um, he, uh, and, and hearing that song now is like, just kills me after, after Prine is, is, is gone because it is written from the perspective of somebody who's, 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 who knows that the end is not too, too far away. I laughed when you talked about Bonetta and the coffee maker. Bonetta deserves all kinds of credit because he, not only he helped John Prime with his own label and managed his career beautifully, he also nurtured the legacy of Sam, uh, Steve Goodman for a long time. And oh yeah, sure. Bless him for that. So I got to know uh, Al a little bit uh, and you know, we had a good relationship. And I, I like, I'd be walking on the street, he'd be leaning out of his car yelling at me, you know, to, we have to get together for dinner. Right. And I, I think I have the world record for almost dinner invitations by Al <laughs> <laughs> I, think he, I think he almost invited me about 25 times. And in each case, I'll get, I'll get back to you. And like it never happened, but maybe right. it had something to do with my coffee maker. I'm, I'm not sure. And, and, and anyway, uh, I want to talk to you about the whole concept of one and two. Uh, these are dual albums that are related and... Uh, two is coming. So please give us a sense of, of what that project's about. Yeah. Um, so when, when Mickey Gamble, the head of Mountain Home uh, Music Company out of Asheville, North Carolina, approached me to make a couple of records for them, I, I said, look, I'm, I'd be more than happy to do this, but I have this idea that I need to get out of my system to make a record with one vintage style ribbon microphone with just me singing and playing at the same time and just using one microphone. That's something I really want to do. And, and he was like, okay, sure, do that, but also make a bluegrass record for us with a band so we have something that's a little more pitchable for radio. And so we ended up with two records. And uh, then we went like, well, if we put out that band record first, that solo record is just gonna, gonna die. Why, is there any way we com can combine these? And so I started messing with the sequencing and it turned out that th the songs sort of the solo record, the solo songs and the band songs sort of correspond with each other thematically. And so I started sequencing it that way that it's always a, a band song followed by a solo song, but they also thematically, there's, there's some overlap. And that's, that's actually turned into a really interesting concept to me. And so that's why it's called To Live in Two Worlds, volume one and two. And volume one, the one that came out on March 26 is more like of a, is a lot about people that that I'm fascinated with like Charlie Poole and Wind Alfred Reed and Jimmy Rogers and and uh, another guy from the um from the Civil War Wilbur uh, McLean and uh the second volume that's coming out in September has some more I want to say spiritual under or overtones and also has a song called uh the flood of 2010 on it which is uh, a song about the Nashville flood of 2010 and it's just inspired by the way people um, 100 to 200 or whatever many years ago wrote about things that happened you know murder ballads Knoxville girl or the death of Queen Jane or stuff like that and we just wanted to write a song about the flood because it happened and we experienced it and it was like well let's let's write about it you know tell the you know, people what happened the, the river rose about 40 feet and it came all the way up to groom guitars and let's put all that into the song and that's what we did I love that, as as you know, that that flood was transform transformative in in many many ways in terms of of Nashville's 
infrastructure, but also the spirit of the city as well. Yeah. It has been an extraordinary pleasure talking to you, Tom. And uh, why don't we just go ahead and wrap this up by playing this forthcoming song? This is probably the world premiere, don't you think? It is. It all is, right. For sure. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, hey. we are privileged to play for you uh, this, this brand new song from Tom Utes. Tom, thank you so much. Thank you, Ken. My pleasure. Rain came pouring down for days, the kind we'd never seen. Like from the book of Genesis, swelling all the streams. Stones River and the Caney Fork, rising by the hour. Water so much mightier than any human power. And up and down the Cumberland, they'll say, remember when. And then they'll tell the stories of the flood of 2010. Thanks for listening to this edition of Americana One. Theme music by Dave Paulson, production by Erica Nalo, and please check out our podcast, available everywhere in the free world.